How's it going today, guys? I'm back here live in the studio once again with another episode of Hot Takes with TP3. Today is Friday, April 19th, 2018. I am joined once again via Skype by the Brett Baker. I'm your host, Thomas Penland. We got a great show for y'all today, don't we, Brett? Oh, dude, I'm actually really enjoying this Skype thing. I think it's like, it's it's uh, rejuvenating my podcasting abilities, dude. Yeah, and that way, you know, if we get a little hostile going at it with each other, we're not trying to fight each other in the studio, you know? You don't so it works well. We don't have to break my room up. Nothing like that. Yeah. It's yeah, good. that's what I'm saying, dude. It, I, I, I like it better, too. You know, we could go at weird times. Like, you don't have to drive around. It's definitely saving me some gas money, too. So that's nice. But I don't care about your gas money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, whatever, whatever. All there right, let's know. get let's let's uh, get down to it here. Um First, I guess we'll start, you know, with the one series we don't even need to talk about. That's the Bucks in the uh, in the Pistons. I yes. mean, I think we both feel the same way here. Bucks and four. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Like I said, I mean, right before we got on, I said that in this atmosphere, this playoff atmosphere, I feel like the Bucks could legitimately beat the Pistons for a whole season of 82 games. Like, literally 82 <laughs> games straight. I feel like they might be able to do it. 100%. 82 now. I, I could definitely see I it. Mean, but- Oh, yeah. Giannis said it best when he said, "I am unstoppable." He added an, he added another word in there, but he is really yeah. unstoppable. It's it's incredible. Yeah, we might need to hit the bleep button if we want to use that one. The Giannis did there, but yeah, I mean, we we I, me and Brad both promised each other before we got on air that we would not talk about that series since there's not really anything to talk yes. about there. Move not forward. wasting time. So move forward here. You know, we'll start with some last night's action. We'll uh, no no no. Actually, you know, we'll go in order here. We'll take the two seven seeds here. Toronto versus Orlando. They play tonight in Orlando. First first game there. I mean, Brett, what do you what do you think about this series? So far and moving so ahead. I think that first game was kind of the Raptors you know getting back into the swing of things uh, in terms of actually competing in the playoffs lately over the last few years they've had LeBron James in the Eastern Conference and they've had absolutely no hope to go anywhere so it's kind of like just playing an extension of the regular season for them because they're going to run into LeBron James eventually they don't have to do that anymore and I think it just now hit them in the last game game two Kawhi played really well. Kyle Lowry came out of that zero-point game and played really well. I think he put up 21 points. I really don't think this is going to go any farther than six games. I think that the Raptors are probably going to wrap it up in five. But I wouldn't be surprised if Orlando steals one in Orlando because they are playing very well at home this season, at least at the end of the season. Yeah, no, I mean, the Magic are 25 and 16 at home this season, which I mean is up there with as good of the teams in the league. I mean, the Raptors were 26 and 15, so pretty much identical home records there. Um, I, th- I kind of agree with you in a sense. I think the Raptors came into this series, you know, when you're a big favorite like that, like I was saying, going to the weekend, these teams that come out as these heavy underdogs, they come out with a chip on their shoulder and they're like, man, nobody's counting on us. You know, we're being counted out here. Let's go out here. Let's show everyone, show up all our doubters. And I think that's kind of the standpoint the Magic took. The Raptors got punched in the mouth you know they couldn't find it they didn't shoot the ball well as a low scoring game so I think it's just a combination of the Raptors not being able to turn it on and the magic wanting to prove themselves that happened in game one game two they woke up I mean the zero points from Kyle Lowry it's been my thing all year guys is Kyle Lowry doesn't show up in the playoffs and he didn't do it in game one I mean if he does that again tonight the Raptors will go down and lose ultimately though I think the Raptors probably pull this one out I more so look for the magic to play desperate in game four you know this game tonight like the magic you get down 20 points you're like I mean it's not the end of the world 
world, you know, you're like, all right, we got one more try to make this a series still in game in game four. So I think tonight more so the, Ra- the Raptors will win. But I look for, I mean, we'll see the Magic play desperate in one of these games and to try I mean, to get a win. As, and that's something they can the do. As the Magic goes, I feel like they're one of those teams that really don't look like a playoff team. So I, I'm, I don't, they are nice. They're good. But they just don't look like a contender. And I don't think they're going to have. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, through all, across the board, especially in the Eastern Conference, the Western Conference is a lot deeper. I think there's a yeah. lot more contender teams. I mean, I'd say the Magic, they were still better than some of the teams. In the, I mean, they're definitely better than the Pistons. I think that's the only oh, other yeah. team in the playoffs. I mean, they're the second worst. But if you watch the Magic over the season, I mean, there's a reason why that they're not one of the best teams in the league. You'd watch the Magic play for a five-game stretch and you'd be like, wow, the Magic can beat anybody. And they beat teams like the yes. Warriors and the Raptors, you know, and the Bucks over that stretch. Then you'd watch them play another five-game stretch, watch them lose to teams like the Hornets. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's just the why the Magic are what they are. You know, they really lack strong guard play. Like, all year long, I was looking for them to make a trade for a big-time guard. Like, I mean, if you could plug, like, if they just, like, I feel like they're just that one wing player away. Like, Terrence Ross, streaky, Foynier, streaky. There's, I mean, Fournier Vucevic and Aaron Those Gordon. The streakiest guards. I swear they've got to be J.R. Smith descendants yeah. or dissonance. I don't know. <laughs> but, I mean, it's... Yeah. They are a streaky team. I just don't think they have the consistency to win in the playoffs, especially against a team like the Raptors, who are deep. I mean, they are deep. They lost, you know, OG Anubia, who could sit out until the conference finals if they make it there. So that's a big loss for them, but I don't think it's going to affect them until next round. But I'm okay with moving forward from this series. We both seem to kind of agree that the Raptors are going to take it. Uh, I feel like Orlando is right on the brink of being special, but I don't think this is that year. Yeah, I mean, Orlando's still a piece away at the guard spot, like we just said. And, I mean, I agree with you. The Raptors are a deep team. I mean, we had Kawhi sit out, I think, for like 28 or 30 games, and they had a better better winnings percentage without him in there, which is, a you know, that's a large enough sample size to justify that. So this is a deep team, like you said. Losing one or two players really doesn't matter for them. Let's move on from here now. We'll go to the 3-6, which met last night, and that's Philadelphia versus um, – versus, uh, yeah, Brooklyn. I don't know why I was drawing a blank on their name there real quick. But, I mean, I'll start a out here with this one. So, I mean, Philadelphia, they answered the calling last night. So, everyone had been knocking Ben Simmons about his performance in the first couple of games. He showed up and showed out last night. I mean, you don't have Embiid to come out and play the game. I mean, I've even heard talk all week long about how Philadelphia needs to decide between Embiid and Simmons and how Simmons can't shoot. He's like the Westbrook, you know. I've heard him called Taller Rondo. You know, I can't take credit for that one, which I think he is Taller Rondo. I mean, Rondo's a damn good player. But... I think that Ben Simmons played a huge game last night. He showed some grit. I mean, 11 for 13 from the field, 9 for 11 on the free throw line, 9 assists. That's exactly the game you want, plus 11 on his plus minus 31 points. from the three-point line. I mean, he doesn't – zero for zero is fine. <laughs> if he gets 31 points, 9 no, assists, yeah, and a win, I don't – yeah, I 15, like 16 with, points. I like to mess with the fact that he just can't shoot. It still blows my mind to this day, but I definitely agree with you. Uh, the 76ers have showed out the last couple games, 145 points – 131 points uh, last night. I think that, I mean, that first game, uh, everybody was kind of blowing it out of proportion. Uh, I think that they really kind of just came out a little bit flat. Uh, Just, I think that's normal for a team like the 76ers, who are still young. And uh, they're not as experienced as some. Even their experienced players haven't got all that much experience in the playoffs, and I think that... Well, their experienced players played bad. Like, J.J. Redick yeah. probably has the most playoff. Him and Butler have the most playoff experience. Butler stepped up, but Redick was absolutely awful in the first two games. Yeah. And... And... Shooters are shoot, so I think he's going to shoot him his way out of that slump. But 
I feel like the 76ers probably are going to wrap this up. I still, I'm still going with six. My original was the 76ers and six. I know that uh, Brooklyn's going to come out pretty hot this next game. I feel like mm-hmm. these guards are still playing well. Uh, D'Angelo Russell didn't have the greatest game. And it's a tough matchup for them. We talked about this earlier about how the the guard matchups, which is, you know, Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Nets, it's their bread and butter is the guard play. And the guard matches up, up top are hard, man. I mean, Simmons, mm-hmm. Butler. I mean, even J.J. Reddick's a pretty decent defender. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you that I think Philadelphia wins this series. I think it'll be in seven games, though. I also agree with your with you saying that the Nets will come out and play hot next game. I mean, the Nets season's on the line next game. You go down 3-1, your odds of winning yes. are very, very low. That's why I think these teams that are down 2-0, that are down 3-1, that I th- or that are down 2-1, like, they're in big spots playing with their back up against the wall at the house. You know, you got to win. The 76ers were below 500 on the season on the road, so, I mean, they're not a great road team either. The My biggest thing with the Nets is the Nets, you know, just like the magic or streaky team you know there's some dumb times when i watched the nets play and i swore to myself i was like wow the nets are i was like the nets honestly look like a top three team in the i'm not a top three but like a top five to to like eight team in the league like one of those like you're like damn the nets have it then you watch the nets play other nights and they lose to somebody they should not lose to you know and you're just like what is going on i mean it's just one of those things so i think it was kind of an off game for the nets i mean they can score the basketball they score the ball well the thing is they don't defend well but i think the nets are gonna i think this is gonna be a fun series i think this is the best first round series this one in that portland okc will, will be I will the two say best though, series I'm, i was very impressed that they beat them by 16 points without Embiid, especially mm-hmm. you know that's your best player, and it's not even close on term in terms of who's your best player on that team, and it's definitely Joel Embiid. He makes the biggest impact, and they did yeah. without him, and that's no. the most impressive thing about the yeah. whole entire series. Even if they go to seven or not, this game was the most impressive. No, I agree with you there. That this one was the most impressive. I kind of thought, though, that not having Embiid changed the pace up for the 76ers because, you know, they like to throw it in and slow down. So I actually think that that was an advantage for them that they went that they played Embiid in the first two games and sat him for this one because you kind of weren't expecting it to happen at the last second. So your game plan all of a sudden changes. I mean, the style of the way the game was played, you know, is a much more of an up and down, just shooting threes, long rebounds, pushing it, you know, one of those kind of games. So I think that that also favored the 76ers, but I think the Nets will come out more prepared to see because I mean I think they'll probably try to go go again without Embiid you know because this is a game because they've already done their job they won the game so they have the series back on their terms so I mean I think that the 76ers if anything are going to come out in this next game rest Embiid again I I definitely agree with you on the resting Embiid part especially because I mean they've already won one game in Brooklyn like you Mm -hmm. said it's also you have a 2-1 lead right now if you win without him he can sit probably for the rest of the series and be healthy coming into the next series. But if you lose this game, it's not the end-all, be-all, and he can come back in a series that's tied 2-2. And I don't think he's I don't think he's seriously, like, I don't think he's dealing with any serious ailments, but I do think that he's a little bit beaten up, and I think it would help to get extra rest. So as far as the 76ers, I know we weren't really going to talk about it in terms of what it means for, you know, their future in the playoffs this year. But I do feel like this next game, game four, is going to be huge for them, especially if they win it, they give Embiid more time to get healthy. And I think that's very important for their future success. Mm -hmm. And also, I mean... 
the only two players last night that hit three pointers, this is something that needs to be pointed out, was Tobias Harris and JJ Redick. Five for nine for Redick, six for six for Harris. So, I mean, those are kind of outlier games, too. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Six for six. But I was really impressed, though, with him. I was like really, really impressed with Simmons and Harris last night. I mean, like, they stepped up the challenge. 16 rebounds for Harris. I mean, even Greg Monroe played decent 13 and nine. I mean, he might add negative plus minus at all. Honestly, the player I want to give a little bit of props here is you plus 18 plus minus for Boban before we move on from here. Three for five from the field, eight for eight from the free throw line, 14 points. I mean, if this guy could play, imagine he'd probably be an all-star. Like, honestly, he's that good. I mean, Boban, he doesn't even jump when he dunks. He just floats up there and he has touch. I mean, you can't back off him at the free throw line. He's shoot it over you. And he was trending for, a, I mean, I think most of the game, he was like the highest trending topic and I thought it was hilarious. People love Boban. I think he's huge for them in terms of like being able to get him beat off the court and not have like a massive drop off. It is a drop off, obviously, in terms of production, but he's a huge, huge. I mean, he's massive. So I mean, one, you're going to uh, clog up the inside of the paint for them a little bit, and you're also going to get some production on the boards. And he's very like I mean, he's well developed offensively. Yeah. No, he's a lot more coordinated and he's got a lot more touch than people think it is. I actually think that like he's the real X factor on this team, you know, because your best big man's going to go to the bench when Embiid does because you got to rest him. So, I mean, Boban's going to have a mismatch in there and you can kind of play fast. He'll run up and down the floor with you, you know, and he's going to get rebounds. So I think Boban actually has been like the like I think he's probably been the X. factor. Obviously, last night, Simmons and, uh, and, and, and uh, Harris went off. But I mean, I think Boban's really been the X factor in the series. And Greg so Monroe far. played well too on the boards he mm-hmm. that great offensively but he still had nine points and he he did well and the my favorite thing about Boban is that he came in and he was the enforcer he not only scored but he had he fouled out I mean that's not exactly what you want but then again he is the he, that's a good enforcer to have especially for a team like the Nets who you know mm-hmm. want to get inside with their guards that's when they're at their best that's when that opens up the three-point line for him and if you can't do that against you know somebody because one, they're blocking the lane, and two, they're going to foul you and get make you earn your points. Then I think that that's huge for the 76ers because if you do lose him, he's not. If he does foul out, it's not like he's you're losing your best player or anything. You are losing a role player, mm-hmm. but it's nice to have him in to you know take up some fouls away from Embiid and Greg Monroe. No, I absolutely agree with you there. You got anything else on this series? Are you ready to move again? I think I'm ready to go on forward with this uh, next little series. I guess we're going to cover the Celtics, the four seed versus the number five mm-hmm. seed, Indiana Pacers. The Celtics jumped out to a 2-0 lead. The Celtics have always been, you know, good in Boston, so that doesn't surprise me. Uh, Indiana probably will steal at least one, but I still think Boston. I think I'm going to go again with the Boston and six. I think that. The Pacers, while I do like them, just don't have enough left in the tank, I feel like. I think that they are, uh, I mean, this is a defensive matchup for them, and I think that they don't have anybody, like we talked about, that can stop. It's not like a big stopper. Like if it, the Celtics go on a run, Kyrie Irving's playing really well, you don't have anybody to combat that, which would be Victor Oladipo, and he's out. So I, I don't think the, the Pacers have what it takes Unfortunately, but I also don't feel like Boston is going to go much farther than this series. 
Yeah, um, you know what? I actually have an interesting take on this series. I think the Pacers will win both these games at home, and you want to know why? The Celtics honestly have not played very well. Game one, they lost three. They lost three out of four quarters. The one quarter was an outlier quarter where they outscored them twenty-six to eight and just kind of buried them in that third quarter. Last game, outscored them thirty-one to twelve in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's also another outlier quarter right there. They did outscore them in the second quarter, so I mean, they split two and two. But I mean, thirty-one to twelve is that's that's. That's bad for the – I mean, the Pacers were a shot going down from it being a different game. I mean, they had a couple shots sit on the rim, touch all four parts, look like they could have dropped. I really feel like the Pacers will defend home court the next two games. I think this series is far from over. I mean, Kyrie Irving played a hell of a game last game. What do you have, like 33, I believe? I believe um, so, yes. 37, 37, 37, 15 for 26 as well. So, I mean, seven assists, that's exactly what you want to see, two turnovers. I mean, Kyrie went off. Um, I think the Pacers' problem, though, like you said, they just don't have any Anybody you can get that bucket and stop the run. I mean, like Bodanovich is 14th in the East. That's just an Eastern Conference. He's 14th in playoff scoring right now. That's not going to get the job done. You know, like they really don't have anybody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that can't be your best scorer right now. I mean, he's look, totally I, I tw- love deep teams. 28th in the playoffs. And I love deep teams that don't like necessarily have, like I love watching teams that don't necessarily have like a showstopper like that one player that's a superstar and they're in they're enjoyable to watch but in the playoffs that does not help you it, it doesn't uh they're a deep team but it's so hard to you know win a series in the nba playoffs when you don't have somebody that's willing to step up in the moment that's you know a dominant force and that's not to say bogdanovich is not a good player or anything he's a great player but i don't think that they have Let's just say it. They're missing Oladipo, and they're missing him greatly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if they had Oladipo, they'd probably be a top three seed. And, like, honestly, they could go deep. Also, the Pacers are really, really good at home. I know they didn't finish the season well. But, like I said, I've been blaming them not finishing the season well and them resting up guys for the playoffs. On the road. So. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, they're they're 29 and 12 at home. Yeah, that's why I do agree with you in terms of, like, I think that they could win two games the next two games and tie it up. But I also feel like Boston is going to either win this in six, maybe goes to seven, but I think they get it done in six. See, I think we'll go to seven. I don't think Boston will win run on the road. They finished 21 and 20 on the road, but I just, I just feel like that Boston, like, the Tatum and Irving have played well, but the rest of the guys like Hayward and all them with this this defense is really disruptive. I feel like if they come out cold, those Pacers fans can get into it. I mean, it could get ugly for the Celtics. Yes, they won in Indiana recently, but I believe Wes Matthews and Tyree and Darren Collison both didn't play. So I mean, that's two of their key players there. I just wish the Pacers, man, if the Pacers had Oladipo, the series would be so different. But I think the Pacers get the job done at least tonight. And that, that is one of my. Uh... As far as like injuries that are affecting the playoffs that are killing me a little bit inside, uh, the Nurkic injury, which we'll talk about later on, and also the Oladipo injury are the two ones that just really stick out to me, and it, it sucks. It absolutely is horrible for him. Mm-hmm. I agree with you there. You got anything else left in the Eastern? Actually, <laughs> let's get a bold Eastern Conference prediction from you before we move to the West that finishes out bold the first round. Eastern Give me one. Conference. It doesn't even have. All right, look, it doesn't even have to be like one that you believe will happen. But like, you can say like, I don't necessarily think it'll happen. But I, but like, it's the it's my bold. You know what I mean? I just need something bold here. Okay. Um, I believe that my bold Eastern Conference take is going to be. Hmm. I think the Bucks sweep their way into the finals minus that last series, and I think that goes to about six games. 
Wow, I like that one. Um, so I think they lose I'm gonna no s- more. I'm going to say, to clear that one up a little bit, I'm going to say the Bucks lose no more than three games on their way to the finals. My bold Eastern Conference prediction is, like, I don't necessarily believe this is going to happen, but I'm going to go pretty bold and out there. I'm going to say the Nets upset the 76ers in the first round. I, I mean, like I mean, that's something this, that would happen to the Philadelphia 76ers because they're the Philadelphia 76ers. Mm-hmm. I thoroughly believe, look, I'm not saying it's going to happen, guys. I mean, it probably won't end up happening, but I could definitely see it happening. I mean, realistically, the 76ers and the Celtics have not really showed up that well. I feel like they've gotten lucky in their two games. I mean, you could also argue at the same time finding a way to win those games is what separates teams from other teams, which, yes, I will say that. But I just feel like the Nets, man, they can fill it up, you know, and if Embiid's not ready to go and those other guys, like if they can, you know, they'll have a better game plan now for if the 76ers want to go smaller and get out and run, you know, like now they kind of have seen something and they'll – prepare something for him next game so i mean I, th- I think that series is far from over there's a lot left there i i agree with you i think it's going to six still though i think the 76ers are going to get it done their inside presence in this series is just too much for the nets i think it's a tough it's a tough draw because not only is their inside presence tough but they also have horrible matchups with their guards Mm-hmm. So. No, I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it, there's there's a lot of basketball left to be played there. Let's get to the Western Conference. Start out with one of the games last night here. That is the Warriors reminding the Clippers who Daddy is, winning 132 to 105. I'm not going to say that much as this series. I just think that the Warriors losing that game the way they did in Game Two, they obviously quit playing. And can you really blame them being up 31 points at home against yeah, the eight and seed? It, and it's hard to turn that switch back on once you were mm-hmm. up by 31 and you're playing in the eight seed and you're. As far as this series goes, this is a cakewalk, the Golden State Warriors. I do have a hot take coming from this series. Oh, yeah. No, I think both of us have a hot take coming from from this. But uh, my my total assumption on this in Golden State is I think that game was the game Golden State needed in the playoffs. They needed that final wake-up call that you can't give up until it's, you know, until you're up that much and it's the fourth quarter, you know. If you're up, the, the, I think then they know that's when you can kind of shut it down a little bit. But I think that that was actually a turning point for them. Obviously, losing to Marcus Cousins was huge, too. They lack that inside presence because they don't have that McGee. They don't have the younger Bogut. I mean, there's a reason he's playing the Australian Basketball League, and they don't have that, uh, that Zaza Pachulia. My hot take is going to come from. Mm-hmm, right same here. I think yeah. the uh, the boogie injury might actually. It's crazy, crazy enough to say. I think that that uh, it might not have a, as big of an impact as we think it will, because. Okay. Like we talked about, we've seen it every single year that the Golden State Warriors have gone on to win the finals. When they play small ball, they're almost unstoppable in the playoffs until somebody comes along with, you know, an obvious inside presence. You know, the the Rockets pushed them to seven last year. I think that has a lot to do with that inside presence and also the ability to keep up with them from the three-point line. But I Mm -hmm. think that this losing boogie kind of... uh, puts a little bit more fire in them I guess if that makes sense they feel like they uh they feel like they have more to do and each of them feels like they have more to do and I also watched uh did you see that video of uh that clip of this is kind of unrelated but did you see that clip of KD kind of talking about how Patrick Beverly was defending him and he was yeah, he didn't, very in depth about it and I, I love that that was a great for basketball lovers if you haven't watched it Definitely go watch that because it was exactly what you like to hear from a player, especially a player like Kevin Durant, 
in terms of, you know, what was going through his mind when he was kind of being limited in that first or that second game, rather. Yeah, no, I thought that was a great video, too. Um, I think it definitely motivates them more. But look, I think that, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get into things that I think will happen next round, Mm -hmm. but... Uh, I'll wait for my bold prediction later to get into my uh, opinion. To be honest, most people already know your bold prediction. You're just going to talk about how the Rockets are going to beat them. (laughs) Everybody knows it's next series, whatever. Yeah, I mean, just go ahead and hey, say just it, man. Keep, just go ahead and say it. All right, fine, fine, fine. All right, all right. This is my this is my thing here. Look, Capella. It doesn't matter if they put the Hamptons five on the court because one, Iguodala is old now. Livingston's old. They're not going to be able to play that mass volume of minutes that they have. Capella is. I don't care what anybody says. Capella is quick. He moves well side to side. He oh, can sure. switch onto guards, which makes him a matchup nightmare for defenses. I mean, we I've watched all the best big men in the league just struggle with Capella. I mean, Jokic can't do a darn thing against Capella, and so I think that along I always think their team's better I think Daniel House Jr. you know Rivers I think all these guys that they've picked up along the way and added for Reed I think they have the right pieces they need I mean they might have lost Ariza but I think Eric Gordon's like Eric Gordon has been playing out of his mind I mean he's a guy like they were even saying on the broadcast the other night I mean he shoot if he didn't play alongside Paul and Harden or if there's just one of them he'd be averaging 20-23 a game you know there's a reason they call him Splash Gordon then you got PJ Tucker who's the just the he thrives off of rebounding and banging in the paint I mean, that's exactly what you want. He wants to the other team. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's a big X factor in that series versus Mm -hmm. the Warriors, especially because he's he's essentially the type of players that the the type of player that the Warriors would want in terms of you know having off their bench. Mm -hmm, Exactly. He's younger than everybody on the Warriors bench. I mean, I think it really helps them to have him. I think that was a huge pickup for the Rockets. Yeah, he matches up really well with uh, with Draymond as well on the defensive end. So, I mean, I think that if even if they have to go small, they still have the superior rebounder and alley-oop guy right there. I think also no DeMarcus Cousins hurts them a lot because they're not going to have a rim defender. Paul and Harden are get, going to get to the rim when they want to, and if other people step up, it's just going to be alley-oops on their heads to Capella. So I think the Rockets will win next round. I'm, I'm actually excited. You know, I, I think as bad as it's going to sound, look, I hate seeing it happen to Marcus Cousins. I would have been perfectly fine with watching him and the Warriors get it done, but now now that he's gone, I'm way more excited for the following rounds of the NBA playoffs than I was before because I really think the Rockets are going right, to pull so this out. Just, just to be clear, you're saying this. You are happy. That- no. <laughs> no, Look, no, I don't want you to take it. You're, you're, you're doing exactly what I didn't want to have happen. I'm not saying that I'm happy he's injured. I'm just saying that him going down makes me happier for the rest of the playoffs because now I don't think the Warriors are just going to run away with it. I'm going to edit this video to where it's just going to be like, I'm not... I'm not happy. I'm just going to take the nod out. It's going to be like, I'm happy that. <laughs> I mean, if you did that, you'd just be a classic member of sports media. You know, that's what they love to do. They love to take one little sentence and twist it, turn it any way they could. So, I, I mean. I love twisting it and getting the, uh, the story to be nice. Yeah, by all means. And a little bit, you know, it's a little bit of smack yeah. talk on YouTube. I, I enjoy it. I might have, you don't even know because. I don't even think you listen to the full podcast. I might be throwing, I might have been throwing things throughout every recording. Jeez, Brad, we might, uh, I might uh, have to hop in the car here in a few minutes to convey you a visit. <laughs> All right, All but right. let's move here now to the uh, next series. I think we've exhausted our uh, Warriors for now, and uh, we'll 
We'll talk about the Rockets later on, but now we're on Nuggets and Spurs here. I mean, Spurs defended home court once again last night. Or I mean, for the first time going up 2-1 now, Spurs were 32-9 were and nine at home this season, which is one of the best records in the league. I mean, I don't know if you feel the same way I do about this series, but I think it's, I mean, I think the Spurs will probably win the series in six games. I think the Nuggets can get one more at home, but I don't see the Nuggets winning a single one in in San Antonio, it's too hard of a spot for him. I mean, like Derek White had the huge night last night. Honestly, I mean, starters are who's been doing it for the Spurs. Look at the bench. That everyone on the bench had a negative plus minus. Nobody really did anything only, special off the bench for him. What is but, they, uh, I think they only had 19 points from their bench. So that's mm-hmm. absolutely insane. Considering they scored 118 points. And the little stat of the day that I want to share with the, from this game, I feel like this is one of the more uh, eye-popping stats out of the whole entire uh, – ballot of playoff games that we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Derek White's plus minus in a 10-point victory last night in a game in which he scored 36 points was plus 30, which I don't know if the people know how the plus minus works, but that is essentially meaning that he, on the court, he's helping the Spurs outscore the Nuggets by around 30 points. And that in itself is impressive. I really have been sleeping on Derek White. I knew he was a great, good player, but that game really showed me something that he might have something that not many players do have, and it's that X factor, that it factor, and he definitely has it. He had a 26-point first half. Yeah, and he's played well, too, in all these other games. I mean, 17 and 16 in his first two playoff games ever, along with, I believe, I guess he had zero assists in the second game, which is probably a part of the reason they lost. But, I mean, five assists in the first game. I mean, for the role he plays, only playing 28, 32 minutes. Yeah, 15 for 21 last night. See, that's the thing about Derek White. He's not going to shoot a lot of three-pointers. He's going to get to the rim. He's going to move the ball. You know, he's not necessarily looking for his shot. He's not going to shoot a lot of— But he can still knock too. Yeah, he plays efficiently, which is exactly what you want out of a guy. I mean, I agree with you. I think Derek White's got something. I mean, it's something about Greg Popovich, man. He gets something out of these players every single time. I was going to say, it's almost frustrating to see the Spurs get another guy. Like, you were like, when they traded the, when the whole Kawhi Leonard saga happened, you were like, oh, is this it for the Spurs? And then they're like, oh, no. We're just, yeah, there's even superstar. Yeah, there was even stories out when they struggled in, uh, towards the beginning of the year saying that Greg Popovich was going to retire after the season was over. They said this stories, might be his last. Yeah, I remember that. And there's stories like that every single year, and it's it happens to two teams in sports. The Patriots and the Spurs. This is the longest dynasties we've had, and they just and want them to, we just want them to fall apart. Care. They're like, all right, our, you can talk all you want, but we're still going to win 50 games almost and then probably beat the two seed as a seven seed. So mm-hmm. the Spurs actually... I know we weren't supposed to talk about it as much, but the Spurs actually have the, I would say, the, one of the easier roads in the Western Conference in terms of getting to the finals as a seventh seed. I mean, it, it, it's crazy to say that, but I mean, even as a seventh seed, they actually have a, a pretty decent little shot here, especially because they play, the teams that they will face, they play well, and they have Popovich, so it's hard to uh, bet against them in any situation. And they're really, really good at home. The only problem is they're going to have to steal one on the road in every series. Yeah. Let's talk a little Nuggets here. Um, I think the Nuggets kind of need, need to figure out better lineups. I mean, if you look down the bench, plus 25 last night for Torrey Craig, plus 17 for um, Morris, for Monte Morris, plus 13 for Malik Beasley. You look at the starting lineup, I mean, only six in 31 minutes, only six shots from Jamal Murray over to the free throw line. That's not really what you want to see. Paul Millsap is a negative 32 plus minus Jokic negative 25. And, I mean, and Mike Malone's got to find a way to, uh, you know, go with a hot hand because mm-hmm. he had Torrey Craig five for seven, two for three from the three point line. And he only got 14 minutes. 
And he had six yeah. rebounds as well, one assist, one steal, zero turnovers, and he only gets 14 minutes. I can't imagine he's happy about that. I'm not even happy about that, and I'm not even a Nuggets fan. But you're right. I mean, he has to figure out what he can do with this lineup uh, in terms of getting the most efficiency. And I think he's going to learn. He's kind of a – in terms of coaching in the playoffs, he's a little bit inexperienced. Uh, and I think that – I mean, not crazy inexperienced, but he is a little bit inexperienced. And I think that sometimes you have to play with your lineup in ways that you didn't think you would have to, if that makes sense. Like, you obviously, you don't think that, you know, benching Jamal Murray, or not benching Jamal Murray, but share, having him in a timeshare with, you know, somebody else on your bench doesn't seem like the right thing because he's been your starter all year. But sometimes you just got to roll with the matchup. No, I agree with you on that. I think that they, their lineup change needs to be moving Barton or it's probably Barton to the bench. Barton has not played well at all in this series. I think moving him to the bench and putting Torrey Craig in the starting lineup. I mean, you could say Beasley. I mean, shoot, five for six from three last night. But I think he's better as that spark in the X factor off no, the bench. But at the end of the game, I would put yeah, I would put Beasley in the game at the end. You know what I mean? The fourth quarter. But I would have him as more of a sixth man. I think that if they need to change some of this, they need to put some defense in that starting line and move some shooting you know, to the bench. So. I, I mean, I think that's the best way to do it. I just feel like Barton, Murray, and Harris are all the same player pretty much. So why not put one of them on the bench and put a different style of player in the starting lineup and think it would make things better for them. But, I mean, I just don't think the Nuggets make and get a win in San Antonio. I really just don't see it happening. I mean, the Nuggets have home court. I mean, Popovich is like 30. I heard today it was like 31 for 15 in like his last whatever games against – or in like the last couple seasons against Denver. That's, that's his record playing in Denver, which is the best of any coach in the entire league. So I wouldn't be surprised if he could put him out in five. Yeah, I mean, realistically, Jamal Murray's like out-of-body quarter after going over eight is the only reason why they're probably not getting swept uh-huh. in this series. And another thing to look at, uh, absolutely incredible stat considering that the Nuggets have been a good team over the last couple years. The fact that the Spurs have won now 14 straight games in San Antonio against the Nuggets is, you know, is just kind of a, you know, it tells you what's going to happen with this series. And I don't think that uh, the Nuggets had a great season. Don't get me wrong, but I, I think that they uh, got a horrible first round matchup, to be honest. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. This was a bad matchup for them. Honestly, I was not expecting this. I was expecting the Nuggets to have an easy road to get to the Western Conference Finals, but they got caught off guard by the Spurs, man, losing that first game. Like, they had to win that first game and keep home court. Keeping home court was huge in this series. I mean, I didn't – I thought personally that they'd be able to defend home court, but Popovich, I mean, he knows how to do it. If anybody knows how to do it, it's him. I've said all I need to say on this series. You got any last thoughts? Let's move on to the uh, Thunder – Blazers and it's tonight. One, yeah, this one is tonight. And we uh, also, without Nurkic, you know, I thought that the Trailblazers were kind of going to struggle in the playoffs, and they have not. They have looked very good. They have looked very dominant. You know, you have your two guards just playing absolutely phenomenal. You saw the stat where they have made more threes in both the first and the second game than everybody on the Thunder combined. So I think mm-hmm. that that's pretty crazy. Uh, last game they played, Damian Lillard had, you know, 29. McCollum Bombs had, away. Yeah, 29. McCollum had 33. 10 for 21 for Lillard. 12 for 22 for McCollum. They're very efficient scorers. They have, like, this unbelievable knack of, like, 
taking what the defense gives them and either shooting over the top or getting inside and getting a bucket or fouled. And they're both great from the free throw line. They're very similar players, and I think that they've actually learned how to play similar along one another. And I think that they're a hard matchup, very hard matchup for the uh, Oklahoma Thunder, or Oklahoma City Thunder. And I, I just don't think the Oklahoma City Thunder have what it takes. I think they need to do a little bit of a revamping this offseason in terms of uh, the players surrounding Westbrook and George because obviously those are going to be the players that, you know, are going to be the ones that stick around. You know, they're they're obviously the top players on the team, but I think they need a little bit more, uh, a little bit more, I guess, oomph for their offense. I think that they uh, lack a shooting guard that can really score. Uh, Ferguson's good on defense, but they need somebody that can score at a higher rate. Yeah, um, I think the Thunder could actually still make this a series. I mean, they've shot their worst percentage from the field and worst from three the last two games. The Blazers have been hitting absurd contested threes. I mean, mean, not Nurkic. Ennis Cantor did not play well last game. Two for five from the field, five rebounds. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, Cantor did not play well in that game. Made no sense how they – I mean, it's basically just – like, did you see that uh, possession? So, Damian Lillard D's up. He D's up uh, Westbrook. Westbrook misses the shot. He turns around, claps. They throw him the ball. He comes down, pulls up from deep, hits it, turns around, and goes bombs away. That was sick. I mean, I think Damian Lillard – nobody in the league plays the bigger chip on their shoulder than Damian, except for maybe Giannis. I think they probably played the two biggest chips on their shoulder in the league. Dame's proving why that he's everything he is and more and why you can't sleep on him anymore. Unfortunately, I think this is going to – become a series i think the thunder will play well at home as they have played well all season paul george i mean his shoulder is very injured but he still seems to be fine out there to me i mean paul george is playing talking about it being just taped on Mm -hmm. it pretty much it pretty much is i mean they're 27 for 14 at home though this season blazers did not play well on the road people don't realize this the Rose Garden, the Oda Center, whichever one you want to call it by, one of the hardest places in the entire NBA to play in. I mean, the Thunder can only do so much there. I think the Thunder come out big tonight and make a statement. I think this is still a series. I actually think the Thunder will win this series still. I'm still confident the Thunder pulls out as the underdog. And regardless of what happens, this is one of those series that I kind of like both teams involved. But regardless of what happens, it's, I mean, these are two teams that are notorious for, you know, not being able to get to the next level in the playoffs. And it sucks to see either of them go this early because I hate, you know, the critics are just going to be all over the Oklahoma City Thunder if they lose. Same thing with the Trailblazers. Uh, I think that half the reason that Damian Lillard plays with such a chip on his shoulder is because of the fact that, you know, he's gotten knocked in the playoffs so many times. And I feel like he really does feel like he has something to prove. And I feel like both of these teams feel like they have something to prove. And that's why it's been such a... Such an emotional series. You saw, you know, Westbrook and uh, Damian Lillard get into it a little bit. Uh, Russell Westbrook had a little bit of a flop, but mm-hmm. obviously he's going to do that. It's it's a very emotional series. Uh, you definitely saw Dame and uh, Stephen Adams get into it at the end of that second game as well. And I think that it's hard to say what this what exactly this series has entailed for us, but. I'm still picking the Portland Trailblazers. They got up to a 2-0 lead. And all, if they win one game in Oklahoma City, I think that they're going to be good to go. 
Yeah, um, I just don't see it happening. I think the I think that Oklahoma City is going to defend home court here. I think that they're going to rally together. I think they're going to come together in this time. I think Westbrook gets out of the first round. I mean, as much as I would love to pick Dame to get to the next round, I just feel like that these the way they've been playing and the way they've been winning these games. I mean, the Thunder have been playing easily. They probably played their worst two games of the season. These first two games, and the fact they only lost the first one by five just speaks volumes to how good the Thunder are. I think the Thunder can get through to the next round here. I'm I like it. We disagree on something finally. Yeah. Finally, no, I mean, series. You know, and then again, I mean, we're not a, a lot of these series. Uh, it's hard to kind of disagree in most situations. Yeah, especially in the first round. Yeah, we've disagreed on the Nets one, and we've also disagreed in this one, especially with the first round. Exactly. So, yeah, well, I said Philly still would win. You know, that was just kind of like the hot take. You know, what I mean, like the hot take you can see man. coming from the East. Yeah, like that's the one upset I could see one. happen if it happened. What? You just got to pick one, man. You can't pick one side? Yes. Dude, I mean, I told you that was like pick that was a side, Thomas. the absurd pick take, a side. dude. That, that was like the absurd storyline, you know what I mean? Not, yeah, I, I'm whatever, still think dude. Philadelphia wins, though. All right, let's move on here now to the final matchup in the Western Conference. That is Rockets and Jazz. Um, I'll, you know, I'll let you start on this one. Yeah, because you're a massive fanboy, so I'm just going to let you get your uh, monologue out. I'm going to be quick with this one. The Utah Jazz are going to win this. I'm just kidding. Uh, the, Rockets are de- <laughs> the Rockets are definitely going to win this series. I Extremely impressive uh, against the best defense. I mean, James Harden made them look like a bunch of toddlers out there. 32-point uh, triple-double, I believe it was. 32 points, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, 32-point triple-double against the league's best defense. And I don't think that, uh, you know, Joe Ingles isn't playing nearly well enough to get on around. I think he will pick it up in Houston. I think they might win a game, uh, maybe even two in the series, but I think they probably will win one game in Utah. And this is a completely different series from when we saw the them play the Jazz last year, you know, and the Jazz played them pretty tough last year in the playoffs. And I think that the Rockets kind of have learned from that. I don't think either team has changed drastically by any means. So I think that... I mean, Houston is scary good right now. They are. They're playing probably the best basketball in the league right now, I would say. Yeah, um, I think that Houston has their, like I said earlier, I think they have their best team they've had yet. I think they're playing their best basketball now. They're peaking at the right time, which is a big thing. Heading into the playoffs, you want to be playing your best basketball, and that's what Houston's been doing. I mean, they got the MVP and the point god in the backcourt. I don't think that you, I mean, like you said, Joe Ingles really is the pivotal player in the series. Donovan Mitchell got in foul trouble. He got out of sync first game. I mean, also, I think the kind of the style of play the Jazz are kind of trying to play just doesn't really fit. I mean, they have, though, like Gobert to kind of neutral Capella. He's played well in the first two games, I think. Donovan Mitchell, though, is the guy. I think Mitchell, you can't have what you had for Mitchell and Ingles last game. Let me pull up their exact stats. I mean, it was it's why we need stat guy once again. I mean, yeah. th- they were they were very disappointing last game. Like, I was thoroughly disappointed with their performance. Okay. Donovan Mitchell, 5 19 for 11 points in 37 minutes. Joe Ingles was 1 for 6. Or no, 1 for 6 on threes, 3 for 8 from the field for 7 points. I mean, that just simply is not going to cut it. Look, Jazz play well, though, on 
national TV when they're playing at home, especially Joe Ingles. I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, we saw last year, didn't OKC handled business at home, and then they went to Port, they went to uh, Utah, and they couldn't do anything there. I think it's kind of going to be a similar thing. I think Utah is going to play well. Look, I don't know if Utah is going to beat Houston in either of these games. Utah's a really good team. I've been like they've like I've been thoroughly disappointed with the way Utah played in both these games. I thought they could and keep they, both of them close. And again, they are still a uh, young team, so I, I feel like. Mm-hmm. They're a team that's like kind of coming to age, I guess, if that makes sense. They're they're kind of uh, they're not going to be a team that makes a lot of noise in the playoffs right now, but they definitely have something to look forward to. And I think that this series, regardless of what happens, even if they get swept, it will be a huge like learning block for them because I mean, you, the playoffs is a different element. Like you have to step up and play a little bit different, and I don't think that they have done that. I don't think they've changed anything. In terms of you know playing the Rockets in a regular season game versus playing them in a playoff game, or maybe they've just changed too much and they've just overthought things. It just has not looked good for them in the first two games. But I do think that they're going to scoop at least one, and I don't think that the Rockets are ever going to have any worry about the series whatsoever. Yeah, I don't think the Rockets will have any worries in this series. I, I Jazz, yeah, the Jazz just got to play better, you know. I mean, you just got to think the Jazz can't play any worse. I think that's the two worst games I've ever seen them play. All right, so we've run through all the Western Conference series here. We've already made our bold Western Conference predictions. You know what, guys? NFL Draft is next week. Before we call this quits, how long have we been doing this for, Brett? Man, I say we just put this thing on. I say we finish, wrap this uh, NFL draft draft talk in about five minutes, uh, maybe less. All right, we're running up on forty five minutes. Uh, we talked. Okay, about that's about a figure. Some playoff basketball. We've done it extensively, so. What, what are we right, going to start with here? Let's get it. All right, I'm going to just go through my mock drafts, my t- my draft picks, everything I think is going to happen. Um, you can tell tell me, tell me us where if you agree or disagree with each pick. All right, my first pick overall in the draft, I have Kyler Murray going number one to the Arizona Cardinals. I think they trade Josh Rosen. I think that the Dolphins could be a good team for this. I could also see the Dolphins try to trade for this pick but ultimately I, I even though I lean on the side of it being stupid I think Arizona is going to draft Kyler Murray with the first pick what do you think about that I mean I'm in agreement with it uh, I didn't think at first okay. that they were going to be able to uh, or that they were going to trade uh, Josh Rosen I think they were I at least thought they were going to stick with him but Cliff Kingsbury seems to be extremely attached to Kyler Murray in terms of his skill set I think he really likes him I think that you know I You've got to kind of give your coach that you've just hired. You kind of got to give him some leeway in terms of how he wants mm-hmm. to build his team. You can't. Uh, you've seen it, even with the Raiders. Uh, you've seen the Raiders kind of not had a team that was built around John Gruden's style, and he fixed it. And I don't know what kind of type of impact it's going to have on them, but you don't want that situation where you're trying to fix it mid-season like the Raiders were. I think it's good that they're doing this ahead of time and they're just they're getting mm-hmm. the guy that Cliff Kingsbury wants and then they're just going to go with it you mean the Cardinals you said the Raiders uh, I was talking more so about like the Raiders last year in terms oh, of oh, oh, oh. How, how they decided to you know switch up their team and everything mid-season to fit John Gruden's style I don't think that the, that's the right method for the Cardinals I think that they oh, should no. go ahead and start right now I think that it's smart 
Yeah, no, I don't know why you confused me there a little bit. No, I agree. I also think that Kingsbury knows his job's pretty much tied to a young QB, and he wants it to be Murray rather than Rosen. I mean, even though they hired hired they hired Kingsbury because he relates better to Rosen, they thought. But, I mean, I think it's stupid because you hired somebody for that reason. But, I mean, it is what it is. Do your thing. I think Kyler Murray could still be successful. I think Rosen could, could be too. All right, second overall pick, San Francisco 49ers. They take Nick Bosa. I mean, obviously, defense was a struggle for them last year. They need to plug something in there. They've already got guys like DeForest Buckner. Solomon uh, Thomas on the defensive line that he could be plugging with his young guy maybe them like that that take their defensive line you know from like an average one I think to one of the better ones in the NFL and a really young one too you agree or disagree I did you say the 49ers yeah they pick second okay yeah okay for some reason I thought they were the fourth pick no no they're second fourth is Oakland okay Cool. Um, no, okay, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Uh, I think that I probably am going to agree with that. I think that the 49ers have pretty well-rounded team, uh, surprisingly. I think that they need to upgrade their defense. I think that they uh, lucked out almost in a sense that they lost Garoppolo because I don't f- feel like they were going to compete mm-hmm. for you know any type of contention uh, last season, and I think it – you you don't want to say that a torn ACL helped the team, but I think it helped them, you know, gain an extra piece for when he comes back healthy. I think it's kind of a it's what is the correct way to word this? I think it's a nice uh, it's a nice fallback that you were able to lose your quarterback that you just paid all this money for, but you also get a top five pick and a draft that has a lot of help defensive like defensive help. They have a lot of game changers, and I think that Nick Bosa is one of those game changers. I think that we. Uh, we talked earlier about this, uh, you know, kind of how a lot of the defensive players in the top 10 are like game changing players. And I think that mm-hmm. he's definitely 100% a safe pick. Um, it does obviously have some injury history, but that'll be all right. I think that's a safe pick. He'll be ready to go for the league. I agree with your yeah. first two in your mock draft. All right, I like it. I like it. Third, I got Quinn and Williams, defensive tackle from Alabama. We've already seen the Jets go out and spend money, and they've done stuff to bulk up at other positions offensively. It's time to go help the defense. Quinn and Williams, I mean, we all know he's going to be a freak. We kind of talked, you talked about it a little bit last podcast how good he's going to be. I mean, you like that? I like it. I think, then again, I do think that uh, it's going to come down to kind of, you know, between whether you want an edge guy or a big man inside, uh, you could see them go with uh, Josh Allen. Uh, they kind of have that uh, culture in New York, uh, you know, that extremely confident culture. Uh, I think that either way, it's a safe pick with these defensive players in the top, you know, eight. But I do think they, uh, the Jets kind of have a notorious, or, I mean, they kind of do like their big guys. So I think that they're definitely gonna uh, stick with Quinn and Williams. I think that's a steal. Uh, yeah. Even I mean, to be honest, he's gonna be a beast. Quinn and Williams or Nick Bosa could both go one and two in a week draft that you know doesn't have a team with quarterback needs. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a good pick for either one of those picks. Is good. Any of the picks defensively in the top ten, like I said are just fine. I don't think they're, I yeah. think they're interchangeable in terms of just having like uh, your prerogative. 
Yeah, those are future stars. Like those are game changing oh, yeah. players right there. Like those guys are guys you game plan against. So that's huge that they can get those two right there. Number four, I'm going to say the Raiders. They <clears throat> go replace Khalil Mack. I mean, they have no pass rushing, and they get the best pat. They get the best stand up pass rusher in the draft with Josh Allen from Kentucky. I mean, this guy's a freak of nature. I mean, there's nothing he can't do. Can honestly, agree. he reminds me of Khalil Mack. I think it's perfect yeah. fit. And I think it, I think it's a perfect fit. I was th- I was talking this up a lot uh, about how he's kind of uh, Josh Allen is kind of Khalil Mack ish in terms of uh, having the background and a little bit of like a you know he can play the pass if he needs to and you see Khalil Mack get interceptions like that pass deflections all the time just by being uh, having a you know a basic instinct of when the pass is coming and I think that this is a great little pickup for them I think that it's uh I think that it can help alleviate the pain that Raiders fans feel of losing Khalil Mack because it's been tough for them last season watching him absolutely dominate the field with the Bears. So I think that Josh Allen is the right pick there. And we're moving forward to... The Tampa Bay Buccaneers at five. I've got them selecting middle linebacker from LSU, Devin White. I think that he's the perfect replacement for um, which linebacker they lose. Uh, Quan Alexander leaving, yeah, leaving them in free agency. I think that he's the perfect player to fit that and fix that. I think he's exactly like Deion Jones. You know, he's fast, makes plays all across the field. Just your prototypical LSU linebacker that they're pumping into the league future, like all pro. Like he's that. He's all that middle linebacker. Like he's the cap. Back. I think that he's the kind of guy that you can perfect pick at number five. Great fit for Tampa. I'm actually going to – this is going to be the one that I disagree with you on. I right. believe that – I truly do believe that the Bucks are going to go out and get Ed Oliver. Uh, if Josh Allen is still there on the table, I believe that they'll pick Josh Allen. But then again, I do know how John Gruden loves his defensive uh, ends, his edge rushers. Mm-hmm. And I think that Josh Allen will be gone. I think that Ed Oliver is a good pick for them. I think it kind of brings an added uh, brings an added pass rush that they haven't had in the past. A lot of the times they uh, you know, have struggled because they can't get back to the quarterback. Uh, and I think that Ed Oliver is a really good pick. We talked about it last podcast, how he has probably mm-hmm. some of the highest potential in the draft as far as defensive players. Uh, might take him just a second to kind of get uh, acclimated to the style and everything, but I think that uh, that's a good pick for the Bucks. He fits yeah, in there I- as well. I, I don't know if they'll take Ed Oliver just because of the off – just like, you know, with that coaching thing, with the yeah. little co- thing with him and the coach and the way he played at the end of the season. I see him dropping down the board a little bit, even though I think the ta- I think the talent and everything's there. I just the think the teams might be though, like – You saw him tear up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, no, I mean, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, everything's there with him. I just think that teams are like, oh, we'd rather not have the guy, you know, who's – you know what I mean? Like, we still get the guy with the perfect everything record. So, I mean, I mean, both players fit – I mean, Ed Oliver fit great next to Gerald McCoy in the middle. I mean, great – that would be a crazy pass rush up the middle, kind of like a Donald and Sue thing. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Number six is the New York Giants. Um, I think they should – I'm actually going to say they don't take Dwayne Haskins here. I think they wait another year instead. I think they draft Florida offensive tackle Jawan Taylor. I mean, the Giants, lots of problems on the offensive line, and I think fixing them is a perfect thing to do right here if I'm them. You know, that might be the smart thing for the New York Giants, but I don't think that the New York Giants, I think that they, uh, they've made some weird decisions uh, as of late, and I think that they're kind of – 
feel like they've kind of fallen in love with Dwayne Haskins as like the option. It's just kind of been by like proxy. I think that they've kind of been forced to fall in love with him. And I think that they're going to draft Dwayne Haskins, and I don't think it's the right pick, but I think that's what they're going to do. And you get to pick um, a young guy, a young quarterback. You kind of get to go ahead and intertwine two, uh, two players in terms of Saquon and Dwayne Haskins. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I I could definitely see them taking taking Dwayne Haskins there too. So I mean, I definitely don't think that's a bad decision. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that can happen. I think Dwayne Haskins, the quicker he goes off the board, change things up. Also, I mean, a team could trade up here at any time and try to get Dwayne Haskins, which is another thing you got to think about too. And teams could try to trade up and get Kyler Murray. So I mean, as long as those qu- quarterbacks are very coveted and good ones are hard to come by, and especially if you can get that good young one that's good right away, we've seen how it can change your team. So a lot of crazy trades can happen. Number seven, we got Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, there's a lot of things the Jags can do. I think they're actually going to go out and get a weapon to I mean to help their quarterback in why am I drawing Nick Foles? I don't know why I was drawing a blank. I caught his name there for a second. They traded for him. I mean, they have the old Eagles offensive coordinator now down there. So they're going to put him in a system that he's familiar with. I think that what they're going to do is draft tight end Noah Fant. They love to use Goddard and Ertz up there. I think they try to do the similar thing with Fant. Fant's been drawing comparisons to those guys as that next like Gronk type wide receiving tight end. Obviously, he's not a great blocker, but he's so good catching the ball, which Gronk is a great blocker, by the way. I'm not not saying that, but he's a so good at catching the ball and get it open he's a matchup nightmare for linebackers and safeties none of the linebackers are too slow safeties are too little you know he just manhandles them and I think that's what they're going to go out and get right there this is an offense that has a lot of problems for me personally I think that the Jaguars are going to go out and get an edge rusher uh they released Malik Jackson in the offseason in March I think that opened the door interesting to, uh pick up a edge rusher and it's a draft absolutely stacked so I think they're going to probably go with the best available, uh, whoever slides on that day of, which it could be any of the, I mean, I think there's probably, we could see up to five edge rushers get drafted in the top 10. Uh, I think, yeah, yeah, it's a stacked, it's stacked out class. So I think that they're going to replace Malik Jackson. I think that was the game plan. And I think that they're going to draft, you know, uh, offensive help throughout the draft. Could even see them taking a risk and trying to trade up at one point, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm still thinking that they're gonna get an offensive weapon. I mean, Nick Foles. Look at the weapons he has in Philadelphia. He's gonna need. You know what I mean? He can't just do. He's got to have some sort of playmakers in there. He's not gonna make the guys better. You know, they gotta help make him better. I mean, Nick Foles. You know, he's more of a like. You know, like he he just makes the right read. He's not really a playmaker. You know what I mean? He just yeah, doesn't really. Gonna, he doesn't really make mistakes. That's a thing. Like he's not gonna wow yeah. you with like you know Aaron Rodgers, uh, Russell Wilson type mm-hmm. crazy plays. He's just gonna. You know, he's kind of. I think he, uh, if you've looked at, if you've kind of, he's like that. He's like that. I think he has learned a lot from Tom Brady and players like that who don't have all the athleticism, but are still Mm -hmm. kind of uh, able to make an impact just by making the right reads and, you know, just prepping really well. I mean, I think that it helps him a lot. Yeah, I mean, he's like that car you get in high school, you know? Like, your parents give you a car, gets you from point A to point B. It's nothing special, but that's just what Nick Foles is, you know? He's just kind of he's kind of that car. He's not the he's not the jacked-up truck or whatever you want to drive when you're in high school that's impressive, you know, and you pull up to the lot. Everyone's like, oh, look, he's at school. Nick Nick pulled up. Nah, he's, he's this, that car gets you from point A to point, e, point B every single time. He's consistent, you know? So that's, what I, that's how I feel about Nick Foles. Number eight, I got Detroit Lions. Uh, I think the Lions need a lot of help, but I think their defense needs 
some, and I think they're going to go with, here's my first Florida State player off the board, baby. Brian Burns, defensive end, Florida State. I think that they either go with him or Montez Sweat from yeah, Mississippi State. Montez Sweat as well. But then again, I also feel like uh, these seven and eight picks with uh, the Lions and the Jaguars, I do feel like they're going to come down to best available. Uh, I feel like if you know a lot of the defensive uh, for the Jags, I feel like if a lot of the defensive edge positions get taken up, I think that they might go with an offensive weapon. But I feel like if you know if an Ed Oliver or John mm-hmm. John is still there, they're going to pick him up. But Montez Sweat, I feel like is a good pick for uh, the Lions. I feel like he's 100% will be there. I think that it falls mm-hmm. right directly into their uh, their line of fire right there at the eight pick. So we'll see. Yeah, no, so I, I agree with you completely. I mean, I could see any of those three guys. They're definitely going to go with something on that defensive line there to get to quarterbacks. At nine, the Buffalo Bills, I have them drafting offensive tackle Jonathan Williams from Alabama. I mean, I think that they are they just got Josh Allen. They made the investment. Why not protect him, get him what he needs to stay safe back there? Young quarterback, showing a lot of promise. I think he's the best quarterback out of all the – him and Baker, the two best out of all those young ones. So that's what I got there. What do you think? Um, I say we uh, move on. All right, so we're coming up on an hour, Thomas. Uh, we got mm-hmm. 30 minutes, so I'm going to go with who I – just say your next two picks, 9 and 10, and then we're just going to wrap it up. I think that – Yeah, that was 9 right there. So number yeah. 10 is – number 10, I've got Denver taking – this is where I had Dwayne Haskins going. Was it number 10 to Denver? Okay. Uh, I could definitely see that. Uh, you know, Dwayne Haskins fits – Fits the bill as far as uh, John Elway's, uh, I guess, unattainable quarterback. He wants a guy that's going to be uh, six foot seven. Pretty much, he wants LeBron James as his quarterback. Uh, he wants some guy that's just going to be, you know, a freak athlete, but also uh, got a lot of size and a pocket presence. Uh, it's hard to come by. I feel like he might get swayed into thinking that Dwayne Haskins is that guy, although I don't necessarily think he is. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. We have been kind of bashing Dwayne Haskins lately, but I feel like he definitely could be a great quarterback. But at the same time, I'm leaning towards him kind of being uh, a little bit above average. So we'll see. I mean, it's going to be an interesting draft. Uh, mm-hmm. This is one of the first drafts that hasn't had a uh, 100%, you know, like top 10. Like, I feel like almost anybody in the top 25 of most mock drafts could go anywhere in that top 25. Because, I mean, you see uh, as early as a month ago, DeAndre Baker was a cornerback that was – you know, being looked at as a top five pick, and now he is, you know, slipped into most mock drafts, you know, mid, mid-round mid pick, and I think that uh, that just goes to show you how well everybody performed at the combine and how much talent is actually in this draft. So I think that this is a stacked-out draft class. Uh, great. It's a great time to uh, get, you know, some needed, much-needed help for a lot of teams, and I'm a little bit disappointed that the Cowboys don't have a first-round pick this year, so we'll see. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. This is going to be a crazy for top 10, see where everybody goes. Like you said, a lot of could be weird to see who goes where and whatnot. I don't think anything's really set in stone. I think, though, there will be some trades up into the top 10 to take I those agree. quarterbacks with Haskins and with Murray. I think teams are going to trade up and take them. So we've seen how important having that young quarterback is. But go ahead and wrap things up. Brett, I appreciate you coming on once again and us getting uh, down to it today. We are um, hitting up on one hour, so it's been a pretty long podcast i appreciate everybody sticking around if you have and if you haven't well 
At least you got to listen to some playoff talk. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. At least you got to listen to some good playoff talk. Hopefully you heard us talk a little NFL draft as well. Before we go, you know, we, we made it this long without mentioning LeBron James' name, so I had to do it now. Uh, but I just wanted to do that. And Zion. And Zion, yeah. So LeBron James and Zion, and that's all we got for you guys. We'll see you guys tomorrow. I don't know why I said tomorrow, but whatever. Well, you know what? It's all right. I'm going to leave one last thing because I'm not going to stop doing it until it just doesn't feel right anymore. But Tiger is back. He's back, baby. And that's it. That's all I got. Peace. There we go. I love how we said we would keep it short and sweet.